I'm just thriving right now. All right, let's do this podcast. Welcome into Chasing Interesting. I am Craig Hoffman. I am Joe Girard. It is the 1st of October, 2020. Craig has a new haircut. He's feeling fresh. And he continues to lose his wallet. Why, folks? Don't know. (laughs) So as we're setting up for the podcast, uh, I'm going through my various bags that I carry my life around in. And I go, oh, there's my wallet. I haven't seen that in a few days. And Joe's just like, what? And I'm like, oh, you don't just not have your wallet for a couple days at a time? That's not a thing that people do? No. No. Now, look, I know... Everyone's on a tight budget. Everyone's kind of looking out what they're spending, but that just takes it to a whole new level because that, and you start freaking out that you actually lost it. And of course, credit cards are in there, licenses. So, you thing start- is, I know it's I know it's in my home or in one of my bags. I, I don't use it very often. Actually, that's the thing. Like that's not a saving mechanism. I do not not spend money because I don't have my wallet. I Apple Pay for everything, especially now contactless trying to be as often as possible, order ahead, that kind of stuff. Like there's there's so much I can do without a physical credit card that it's not a good outlet. Like I should honestly probably just take my license out of my wallet and like stash it somewhere locked in my car. Then I don't have to worry about the wallet. Yeah, that's pretty good. Unless you go in, you're going out or getting drinks or something, you'll be carded, but that's not a bad idea. But at least then I have it with me. The, the times that I would need an ID that I'm not driving there are almost never. Um, occasionally, I guess when I go biking, I, I will take it out of my wallet and put it in, in my bike. Uh, and I'll take like a physical credit card as well, which is silly because I won't take it when I go a million places. But it's like, oh, in case I need, I don't know, a snack along the way. But I, I Apple Pay for just about everything. And Apple Pay is so widely accepted now. I can't exist in the world without a physical wallet, and often I do, and that's it's probably not smart because that makes me often lackadaisical with the actual wallet, which is not a thing that one should be lackadaisical with. Also, if you're on a date, and it's, it could be embarrassing when you go for your wallet no, to pay. Wh- when I know and... I'm going to have to pay for something like that, then I check. Okay. I, I do check. Yeah, no, it's not. it's just like... If I know I'm not going to need it and I don't have it, I'm not like, oh, let me go find it real quick. Where some people would be like, I can't leave the house without my wallet. But if I know I'm going to need it, yeah. But that also becomes problematic. It's like, oh, shit, I'm in a hurry. I need to go. I'm running behind and I need my wallet. I don't have any idea where the hell I put it. First world problems, man. Get it together. (laughs) I don't even know if that's first world problems. It's just like dumb person problems. It's me, the dumb one. Just kidding. Self-esteem at an all-time high right now. This week has been hellacious, and so we have a lot to talk about in the important and interesting segment here to start the show. Oh, Joe, where do we start? Where do well, we it start? Was, it was National Coffee Day on Tuesday. I guess. We oh, yeah. Absolutely. That. That's um, the only good thing that happened this week is yeah. National Coffee Day. That's it. That's the list. Thanks for listening to the podcast and we'll see you next week. No, um, obviously a lot of chatter this week with the presidential debate, volume one. Man, huh? That was something. <laughs> yeah, and I hate that that's the takeaway. I hate that instead of people who tuned in 
for information that they instead just go, holy crap, that was wild. And that like that turns into the takeaway. No, at no point is a formal exchange of ideas between two people looking to hold the most powerful job in the entire world. In no way should that setup end in, man, that was a lot of yelling. Mm. That's, yeah. that's a travesty. And let's be obviously very frank. The president was at fault for all of it. Yeah, I, I would agree to that. I would agree to that. Did Joe Biden at times stoop down and, and mix it up in the fracas? Yes, but he never brought it to that level. It was the president acting like a five-year-old and yeah. yelling and name-calling and having no substance to what he was saying because he is a man of no substance. And it's frustrating because there's two groups of undecided voters. There are those that somehow, some way, have not decided between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, even though they are paying attention. And I have to think that if that is you, or that is your friend or your family member, your, your mom, dad, aunt, uncle, that there is some issue that is close to them as a true conservative that makes them go, God, do I want to tolerate the rest of this bullshit? That that is the only way you can both be paying attention and torn. Mm. But there is a, a much larger... I, I actually don't know if it's larger. To me, this has got to be the, the group that is larger, though, at this point. I just don't understand how it would be any other way. That is undecided between voting and not voting. That's the problem. You just... That is the... that What you just said is a serious problem. Because... If you're not going to go and vote, then you're taking away votes from a candidate. And by the way, that's that's called voter suppression. And I think it was clear that our president was was really chiming for that. Yes. He was really trying to push for that. Between turning it into a circus and the literal threats that, quote-unquote, his people— need to monitor the polls. Like, you could go to the polls and get beat up is basically what he's implying. And so if you are someone who doesn't really believe that politics impacts your life or thinks it's too messy or it's for other people, which is a prevailing thought in a lot of America, a lot of people aren't like, certainly me, someone who consumes this stuff on the daily at a borderline insane level, or even someone like you who's become a much more involved observer and participant in politics and just as a citizen, if you're not someone like us, then you get so turned off and you go, that is why I don't deal with this shit, is seeing that unfold on Tuesday night. And I don't know at this point if a lower turnout helps President Trump because if you really want to get into the, the nerdy political side of this, one of the biggest differences between right now and 2016 is Joe Biden is polling above 50% in a lot of these states, and there are fewer undecideds, meaning that Donald Trump needs some of those undecideds to vote for him to close a gap 
and to convince some of the people that are currently planning on voting for Joe Biden to vote for him. So he's got to make up a margin that is, even though the number might not be that different between, say, 50.7% and 48.8%, where Joe Biden was in some swing state, in or is right now in some swing state in 2020 versus where Hillary was in 2016, crossing that 50% threshold is enormously significant. And so the idea that suppressing the vote is actually a good thing for Trump might actually be bad strategy and bad politics. But overall, the larger idea that people are getting uninterested and uninvested in the political process is bad. I am willing to lose an election on the merits. I am willing to, and we're going to get into this a little bit deeper later, on on how some of these arguments get made when we get into the actual substance, whatever there was of that in this debate. But democracy is supposed to create a government that represents our views as a collective society. And the less people that get involved in that, the worse it is, because that means there's going to be a lot of people that aren't represented. And I'm just terrified, not only for the short term, for what it could mean for this election, for people who feel disenfranchised, for people who are turned off by politics, to watch that debate, which, by the way, if you're a what they call a low-information voter, or, and to use another term, a high-potential voter, you're someone who has been paying attention this entire time. That could have been the first thing you decided, okay, we're about a month out, I need to pay attention. And if that's your first exposure to the 2020 race, you are running right back out the door through which you came in. It was so chaotic, just like aesthetically. You know, when you, when you kind of tuned in, you watched it, you watched the moderator, Chris Wallace, kind of give the instructions. Each each team agreed to their two minutes, whatever. It just got out of control. It turned into a, like everyone was saying, a shit show, a dumpster fire. And so, in fact, that, and so chaotic, the debate commission said, because there's a, you know, there's a commission of people who are actually in charge of these sort of things, they will change the format for the next two meetings between President Trump and Joe Biden to, quote, ensure a more orderly discussion, which has never happened before. So there's going to be new rules. I don't know how that's going to look because Trump will continue to do what he does during these debates. So this commission will have to come up with, I guess, creative ideas or or things, penalties for each candidate if they do step out of line. Trump tweeted this morning, I'm not sure if you saw this, I won the debate big based on compilation of polls, etc. Thank you. That's what he said. Of course, because he, he lies and he's full of shit. <laughs> he's convinced that, you know, he, he, took this, he took this debate, which is a, a strong argument for a lot of people. You know, we're a month out, and someone like myself, I'm not a huge political person, but now we're a month out, I'm starting to really focus in. And since doing the podcast, I've really started to pay attention. And if that is the first initial welcome for a lot of folks— in America to see, okay, here we are, 30 days out or whatever it is. I'm going to start paying attention. Holy shit. It goes to the arguments that each candidate is trying to make. And what's crazy is Trump is making the same argument that it that he tried to make in 2016. The problem is we have almost four years of his presidency now to go like, no. The, that argument is this is all broken and I can fix it. I alone can fix it, specifically. 
because he's an egomaniacal narcissist who thinks that he has won his entire life despite, as we'll talk about with the tax returns, being born on third base, thinking he hit a triple, and actually somehow winding up in right field. But when you've been president, that argument doesn't work because we can all just go, hey, buddy, we have eyes. We've looked around. And by the way, that's also the argument that Republicans have been making forever is that government doesn't work, which is a pretty easy thing to convince people of when you're in charge of the government and you don't make it work. See, look, it doesn't work. And it's just like, like, yeah, because you guys are dysfunctional boobs as opposed to Democrats who say, hey, government can be really good. Government can be powerful. Government can create positive change in our communities, in individual lives, in, in collective lives. And then they have to fight with Republicans to get anything done, and they can't do all the good that they, that they want. And I think what has happened over the last four years is we've gotten to the point where I truly wonder if Democrats are going to get the opportunity to do that good. And that gets into trying to evaluate the debate performances themselves, and where I think, despite the fact that the number one takeaway is going to be the chaos, and that that is on Trump, I think Biden missed a real opportunity to generally ignore Trump and not necessarily make it a referendum about Trump, which is counter to typical politics. What you want to do as a challenger is make it a referendum on the incumbent. And right now, that would seem like a smart political strategy because America is a disaster. And it was a disaster before COVID, but especially now, all you have to do is say like, hey, look, here's the argument. But that's kind of the point. The argument is self-evident against Trump. Where I think Joe Biden missed is offering a counter to give people a vision of what it would be like if he was in charge and creating that alternate vision and putting us in that alternate universe. And that's where, while I think there were some really great moments from Biden, him looking into the camera multiple times and addressing the American people, acknowledging that this is about the American people, him honestly telling Trump, would you just shut up? I think actually worked because that's what all of America watching was feeling. So he connected with America, even though that was kind of a child, not a childish exchange, although it was more of like parent to child than two children um, in that moment. I, I don't know if Biden really maximized the opportunity to take advantage of how insane Trump was by painting a really cohesive alternate vision. And at the same time, and I know I'm getting a little long-winded here, so I will try to wrap this point up. It's also a really tough ask of Joe Biden. Not because he's not intellectually capable and not because he's not capable of doing the job. He's not a gifted orator. He is someone who has a stutter. And so to be incredibly eloquent in the ways that we traditionally think of oratory eloquence is not in his specialty. It's not in his wheelhouse. But that does not mean, and this is something that I think is really, really important to point out to anybody who might have doubts about Joe Biden. A stutter does not impede thought. It impedes speech. He is fully capable of thinking through problems and implementing solutions. 
which is ultimately the job of president, even if he is not always going to be his old running mate in Barack Obama in terms of delivering the speech about that idea. Oratory ability, especially with someone with a speech impediment, is not indicative of intellectual capacity. So, you know, looking ahead here, I mean, because there were rumors night of that saying that why would Biden want to even continue? Why would he continue to do another debate? I think he will. And even Kamala got on one of the cable networks after the debate, and she's like, no, 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 we're not, we're not going to not do it. He'll, he will show up for the American people, so he will be there for, for the rest of these debates. And I believe that, too, even though he is aware of what Trump is capable of. I mean, that's the other thing is, yes, Joe didn't deliver. He, it really wasn't his best debate. But, like, how could you when you have Trump nagging at you seven feet away? You can't get in a word. This is what he, like, he's a bully. This is what bullies do. Right. They keep poking at you and poking at you. So I, that's not easy to do. I'd imagine for anybody. And Biden's the type that, you know, in his younger days probably would have been like, yo, let's go settle this behind the schoolyard. Probably. And he said that before. And I would take Biden in that fight 100 times out of 100 because Trump seems like the guy, like he is the bully who once you punch him in the nose, he doesn't know what to do, right? He's like, this is what he is. So let me ask you, would like if you're Biden and you're the Biden campaign, would you go to the next two debates? Yes. Absolutely, because here's why. If you don't, Trump's going to use that against you and say, oh, what's up? You, oh, you don't want to debate? Oh, you, don't, you can't be president. That's weak. Like, you know how Trump will spin that? Yeah. And he'll come up with ways of, of making it a negative? Even though Joe's like, why would I? Because you're, you're a child. Like, I can't even – it's not even a real debate. You're just blabbing and just throwing stuff that don't even make sense, it's, which is out of context. And the fact that he went after his family for no reason like that, that was horrendous. So – I hear you, and I think it's valid, but I actually don't know who that argument is convincing. Maybe. There, there are probably some people that would be like, no, Biden, you know, oh, he won't even campaign. Why should I vote for him? And I do think that's, that's a risk. But if I was Joe Biden, I would consider putting out some version of the following statement. Tuesday night was the worst debate in American history. It was one of the lowest moments in the history of the American presidency as my opponent continually acted childish or whatever, you know, whatever words you want to use to describe his performance, right? I refuse to continue the degradation of that high office. This is why I'm running for president. It is very clear that the president is interested in turning this into a mudslinging fight. And I refuse to do that to the American people. I will talk to the American people in other ways. I'm excited to do town halls. I'm excited to do campaign events in person where possible and also virtually to meet with you, the American people. But there is nothing gained from two grown men on stage yelling at each other, which is what Tuesday night turned into. So I am not interested in doing that again. And... I think that would be really powerful. And you don't have to worry about Trump dragging you down again. Now, with that said, there is a really interesting caveat to the next debate. It's a town hall format. So, yes, there will be a moderator. And Chris Wallace was not good at all. No. On Tuesday. 
But if Trump does that to voters, if he tries to cut off voters, he's toast. So depending on how this next one goes, if I'm Biden, I might sit out the third debate with a traditional moderator in the same format where Trump also might be extremely desperate and Lord knows what he could say. The next one I'm I'm in for because it's a town hall format. And that's actually, I think, where Biden is going to be at his best because he gets to be human and ha- show that empathy while Trump has to face real people whose lives he affects as president and not just crowds of people who are cheering for him because they don't know any better. Yeah. Did they announce who the moderator is? Because that's, that's key during this entire thing. Because you got to have someone who's going to really hold ground. And that was the problem. Is that Chris Wallace, he just he didn't. He got ran over. Yeah, it's a huge job, and it'll be Steve Scully from C-SPAN, their political editor. So serious journalist. Not that Chris Wallace isn't. He just wasn't ready to impose his will. I think Scully will obviously be prepared to do that because how could you not now knowing exactly how Trump is going to act? One more thing we want to tackle in important and interesting is the story the New York Times is currently dropping. They dropped part one and part two over the weekend. There are apparently more parts coming, and then it is on Donald Trump's tax returns, something that he was the first president in 40 years to not release as a candidate. He has still refused to release them nearly four years into his presidency, but the New York Times got its hands on a lot of them, and there are serious concerns on a lot of different levels. If we're being really honest, Joe, the biggest news in this is not what is getting the headlines. The biggest headlines, which we are going to talk about because I think it does speak to a bigger philosophical difference that I want to talk about that I think is really interesting and important that we referenced a little bit earlier. But the biggest headline, and that that of course is the $750 that he's paid or the $0 he's paid in most of the last 20 years in federal income taxes. But this debt situation... If Donald Trump was not president of the United States, he could not get any type of security clearance. When you are that leveraged financially, you do not get to be in positions of power in the government. You do not get to be appointed to a position where you have classified intelligence because you're a liability to give it up based off the fact that people have things over you. But when you're president, you get to skip all those steps and you're just, you're the president. And in many ways, you decide what's classified and not anyway. And so that is egregiously problematic. The debt that he has, it's why the emoluments clause exists in the constitution. It's why presidents have been open with their tax returns. So voters, citizens, the intelligence community, the military, everyone who looks up to the president can go, okay, we know he's actually doing this for the right reasons and for us. And Donald Trump is in deep shit financially and a lot of it to foreign entities. And that is, that's a huge part of this story that I don't know that there's much more we need to say about it, but I just wanted to acknowledge that the people I follow that have, are like now CNN contributors or whoever, but were former intelligence officials, were all extremely alarmed by that part of the story. Yeah, well, the debt is $421 million that he has to start paying over the next few years, um, which is an egregious Just amount of money. Just imagine how, like, how would you act if you were in debt to someone for $421? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, 
I mean, it goes to show because I I was thinking about this. Like, that's a lot of debt. Like, why would he need that kind of money to kind of leverage? It's because his businesses aren't doing that well, and I don't know if they ever really did, right? If he has to have that kind of debt, if he needs to borrow that kind of money, and obviously he's not trying to pay a lot of taxes because he's losing money. I mean, there's still something wrong there. Don't get me wrong. The dude paid $750 in 2016 and 2017, and then nothing. That's a big fat zero the past 10 out of the 15 previous years. How does that work if you're a millionaire? What's up with that? Something ain't wrong there. Something ain't right there. So, um, WTF, dude. Like, (laughs) (laughs) no, for real, though. Like, that's, you're 100% right. Like, and this is, this is a point that Democrats have seated on for far too long. And I'm going to say something that sounds crazy. Taxes are good. Whoa. We talk all the time about, oh, teachers are underpaid. Thank our service members. All these public jobs that are thankless in so many ways. People who have given their lives, their livelihoods, their time to making sure our lives are better individually and collectively. Individually as students coming up through the public education system. Collectively, people who build our roads and our tunnels and our traffic lights to keep us safe to any other public service we have. Those people are paid by taxes. And so when Republicans go, oh, we're just trying to get tax cuts for X, Y, or Z. You know, we need to keep more money in people's pockets. Or even when Democrats are constantly talking about, we, we need to get tax cuts for the middle class and we'll tax the 1%. It's like, yes, you should tax people who make a shit ton of money more because they're not paying their fair share at all. They built billion dollar enterprises with a lot of public goods and a lot, and, and then been able to keep a, an abnormal amount of the money by using public resources. Amazon can't be a billion dollar company without all the transportation that happens via every single public road, via air, how they ship stuff, where you have the FAA and, and all the regulation around airplane travel that is all federal. So there's a million ways in which all these gigantic companies are able to operate thanks to public goods. That is why they should pay taxes. They should have to pay back into that system. They should not just be able to profit off of that system. And because of the investment in public goods, it makes all of our lives better, and that means that we can all make a little bit more. So yes, you pay a little bit more, but taxes are an investment, and for that reason, they are good. And it's fucking ridiculous that for years, that has never been said by public officials. It's always, oh, how can I make this person feel like they're going to keep a little bit more of their money. When in the end, they're probably just going to get screwed out of it because they're going to have to pay for something like, I don't know, health care that could be paid for in taxes at a lower cost. So you're actually not keeping the money in the first place. It's a bad financial argument that is made in bad faith and Democrats have given up on it for way too freaking long. And so, yeah, I wish that in the next presidential debate and in every debate from now until fucking forever, that the Democrats, instead of going like, we're going to try to get you a tax cut, would go, no, here's what taxes are for. Here is what they pay for. This is why they are necessary. They are good. It is an investment in all of us. So we should all pay our fair share, and that includes me, and that's why I'm proud to pay taxes. My boy's on his soapbox today. End of rant. 
Look, I gotta be honest. I've never actually heard an argument as good as what you just spoke. Um, Democrats, for sure, have never said anything like that. And I, I actually agree with you, dude. Like, I, I'm in agreement because you are right. It is an investment into our future, into our kids' future, to have better things, to have better jobs, to then in turn make more money if we invest into schooling and roads and businesses and our, our kids and healthcare. Imagine that. Imagine that. If, like if we had a plan for healthcare where we pay a little bit for taxes and we're all covered. Well, and it's also like this, Joe, right? You know, how come a professional basketball player can make a million dollars and a teacher makes only $40,000 a year? Well, that's a decision we made as a society based off our purchasing patterns. If you think teachers should be paid more, are you willing to pay more taxes? Because that's how they're going to get paid more. And those aren't necessarily federal taxes. You could. You could have a federal stipend that every... Imagine if every teacher got an extra $5,000 a year from the federal government based on top of their state salary. Like, that. that's a thing that, in theory, could be an option. But then we'd have to pay more taxes. And people are not willing to do that. So they make these value-based arguments, and the irony is Republicans are always the one being like, well, how are you going to pay for it? And it's like, well, we're going to pay in taxes. And that has been turned into a negative for way too long. That's going to be positive. We're going to pay for it in taxes. So, you know, for each individual of us, because we split the cost, it's a billion-dollar project. Okay, well, when you have 300, almost 400 million people, like if it's a billion-dollar project, that's an extra $2 in a cent a year, mm. if that, yeah, for all of us. So if you can split the cost of a billy between 400 million people, and by the way, maybe Jeff Bezos has to pay $10 instead of two, shit adds up quick. So taxes are actually pretty efficient way to pay for things. And by the way, because government projects are not for profit, you're also not trying to make a profit on the top end, which also brings costs down. This is why government can work if it's allowed to work. That's an argument that should be made. And by the way, this is why AOC needs to run for everything because she's the one who makes that argument better than anyone I've ever heard. AOC for everything, but like not in a fascist way. <laughs> totally different. Hi, welcome to my lawn. This is the segment that is supposed to be lighthearted and fun. Joe, what do we have today? Oh man, my home state. What's up? A Massachusetts man dies from eating black licorice every day. That is terrible. CNN reports that a 54-year-old man in Massachusetts has died after eating too much of the candy black licorice. The man was a construction worker who was generally healthy. He had no history of heart problems. Okay. Walked his dog regularly. That's great. Worked as a construction worker. Physical job? Yeah. So far, so good. Oh, by the way. He also smoked a pack of cigarettes a day oh. and had, quote, a poor diet. Oh, so generally healthy except for the pack a day and the poor diet and the licorice every day. Yeah. No one saw that coming. Great reporting. <laughs> also, by the way, welcome to 2020, where our lighthearted segments include people dying of licorice overdose. Oh, man. Generally healthy was the dead guy. And now... Sports. The NFL is having itself a week, Joey Girard. So there was a big situation two weeks ago when coaches would not wear their mask on the sidelines and they were getting fined for it. But now coaches are eligible to be suspended 
with no pay if not wearing their masks on the sidelines. That's a big deal. It's huge. And I'm honestly shocked that Nike hasn't come out with a mask yet. Mm. Like, this is, seems like a missed marketing opportunity. Under Armour has one. Adidas has one. Nike should come out with masks, give them to the coaches. They all wear them. Then you can sell them. It seems like a merchandising opportunity, but what do I know? I think this is great by the NFL. And by the way, it's well-timed because they are having their first serious COVID issue. They are having to suspend the game this weekend between the Titans and Steelers after nine Tennessee players have tested positive for COVID or nine Tennessee Titans organization members, um, players, staff, etc., and so they need to contain this outbreak. They are. They're doing a good job. They've pulled the referee crew that worked with them last week off. They've continually monitored their opponent from last week to make sure that they're set. That's been clean so far. No positive tests. So that team is set to go. But when you look at the NFL and how they've handled it, I've actually been pretty impressed with Roger Goodell, including his statement going, we were ready for this. We knew this was a possibility. We're obviously taking every precaution necessary, and we're taking this extremely seriously but we knew this was possible, and so we have plans. And the NBA got pretty lucky that, you know, and obviously it was a lot easier in the bubble. We proved in the NWSL how successful you can be in a bubble. But the NBA hasn't had to postpone anything. They, they've been able to operate on schedule. Their only work stoppage was social justice related. But for the NFL, as they continue to march on outside of a bubble, they have to be ready for this. And I don't, you know, I'm sure they'll investigate how this happened. Hopefully it was no one being careless. Obviously the most important thing is, is that everyone's okay. But uh, I've been generally impressed with how the NFL's handled this. And I think it goes to why they are taking things like the masks on the sidelines so seriously, Joe. Yeah. Uh, I think they are doing a good job. I, I, I do agree with you. I was a little skeptical when the season started, how they're going to do it because everyone's still hopping on planes. Everyone's still traveling. And yes, they are confined when they do these sort of things, but still, it's still hard, would be hard not to contract COVID-19. But so they're doing the right thing this weekend, postponing the game. I imagine they're going to make it up later in the season. Again, much love to NHL because they were in a bubble. They had no cases and the NBA who was in a bubble and they had no cases. And here we are with the NBA Finals started uh, last night. They came back strong, and it, it, I'm, and I'm glad they did because, you know, fans wanted to see the NBA return. They did. We've got a great series um, with the Lakers and Heat. And, you know, well, it's going to be interesting to see when they come back next year. I'm not sure when the new season will start next year. They haven't kind of said what that looks like, but it, it'll be uh, interesting to see how this all plays out. And that brings us right into our NFL Quick Hits, Joseph. Most impressive team from you last week? Uh, I did like the Bucs. They played pretty well last week. Tom Brady and company. Defense showed up pretty well, too. 28-10 over the Broncos last week. I thought it was a great victory. I'm going to go most impressive, least impressive, like all mushed together in the same game because it was a wild-ass game in Buffalo. I was both really impressed and really disappointed with the Rams. Because they dug themselves such an incredible hole in that first half. And then they come back, and if not for a really, really questionable pass interference call at the goal line, they probably win that game. I will also say I'm incredibly impressed with the Bills in that game because if you can compete with the Rams, that means you're real good, and that Buffalo team is legit. They wind up getting the win 35-32. So however you want to sort out the most and least impressive in that convoluted, chaotic game, I'm good with, but that that game I was watching and and that was a lot of fun and and both 
both teams are really good. That was my surest bet last week was the Rams. and uh, You got I, screwed on that one, man. I got played big time on that one. You did. So my most disappointing for last week was the Niners-Giants game. Giants didn't even show up. Like, Niners smoked them 36-9. Um, I, I don't even know what happened. I thought the Giants were at least going to show up, but they clearly didn't. Um, and hopefully they'll kind of bounce bounce back this week. The game I'm looking forward to this week, uh, because of the Bills' pretty impressive win last week, is the Bills-Raiders. That game's in Las Vegas, and I think the Bills have a great shot this week. Good measuring stick game for the Raiders, who might be good. Buffalo favored by three in that one on the road. I'm going to go Patriots-Chiefs. Uh, can the Chiefs just keep rolling people like what they did to Baltimore last week? Baltimore's a good-ass team, who, by the way, is going to stomp Washington this weekend. Um, but they they just got trounced at home by Kansas City. It just seems like Kansas City can turn it on and off. They have a different gear. Can they do that to a Bill Belichick defense? What can Cam Newton do to try to keep the Patriots in it? So I'm going to go Patriots-Chiefs is the game I'm most looking forward to. As for my surest bet, though, Joseph, uh, I'm going to go with the Falcons on Monday Night Football in Green Bay. They are seven and a half point dogs. They have two straight historical level collapses to lose football games. So at least it'll be close. They might get up and then lose the lead, but I don't think they're going to get blown out. So I'm going to go the Falcons on the road plus seven and a half. Nice. And my surest bet this week, you actually just mentioned it, uh, Ravens against the Washington football team. I got the Ravens putting a smack of Roonies on the Washington uh, squad. Uh, Your home turf, if you will. Um, Home base. Home base. Not only that, there's a lot of fans, and even though obviously the fans aren't going to be in the stadium, but there are a lot of Ravens fans in the Washington area. So, um, I see the Ravens just taking some sort of energy. People in the parking lots, because they are tailgating still, feeling that momentum, feeling that energy, and putting the smack on the Washington football team this weekend. It's a 12-and-a-half-point line, which is a huge number, but I think the Ravens are fully capable of winning by two touchdowns or more. I don't, I don't mind that pick at all. All right, look good, feel good, do good this week. We're actually going to kind of continue going on the sports round because what we're watching is the NBA Finals, Joe, especially out there in L.A. Lakers up one nothing after a dominant performance last night. Great game last night. They were down 13, I think, in the end of the first, beginning of second quarter, and I actually walked away from the game, came back, and then they went up 20 or something like that. They looked really good. Uh, LeBron just taking charge as he does. AD stepping in, the bench playing really well, getting up and down the court very flawlessly. Uh, great game one for the Lakers, and excited to see game two tomorrow night. If Adebayo and Butler aren't healthy for Miami, this could be a sweep, especially Bam. That dude is so good. He's so impactful defensively, and if he's not right, then that is a deep, deep cut for the Miami Heat. Um, I also want to just give a quick shout-out to the radio crew. I actually wound up not being home at the start of this game, so I was listening on ESPN Radio Mark Kestisher, who's my boy, PJ Carlissimo, and Doris Burke, who has moved from the TV sidelines into an analyst role on the radio. That is one of the smartest broadcast booths you will ever get the chance to listen to. And the TV crew is great with Van Gundy, Breen, and and Jackson. But man, that was an enjoyable listen. So shout out to uh, shout out to radio and specifically to Kesty, PJ, and, and Doris, who did a great job in their first game together on the radio last night. Feel good this week. Joe, I almost died yesterday. Oh, man. Tell me more. I went to see my friends at Bash Boxing, 
and take one of their classes. And I've been taking a, a few more group fitness classes as of late. Feel a little bit more comfortable. You know, I got one of the Under Armour masks, which is great. You can work out in it and not feel like uh, you can't breathe. So that's that's good. But boxing is just a different kind of workout. And it, it triggers something in your system that is true fight or flight. Like you get into that that fighting mode and you're like, oh, like I'm in this. And I had a really bad night's sleep the night before. And so I just didn't have it. I swear, dude, I felt drunk in class. Like I could not like move in between rounds. My arm, I felt like my arms were the inflatable car sales thing. <laughs> is that because you were, it was a group setting and everyone was kind of on their own, I guess, level, but you were kind of trying to compete with everybody else at the same time? No, I mean, the energy was great. My boy Nick was an incredible, like I'm hard on coaches because I am one. Nick can coach. He was phenomenal. I was so impressed with Nicky. Um, so like that was cool to, to see one of my boys in his element and doing his thing. And it was the first time I had taken his class, but um, the energy is great. Always at bash. If you're in the DC area and, and want to go visit them in either Boston or, or Roslyn, by all means. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a rough one for, for me, but it was also so much fun to be back and boxing such a great workout. But I want to talk a little bit more about just the group fitness thing in general. And I, I've been impressed on some classes that I've gone to lately and other ones I'm like, I don't know what we're doing here. And I feel bad kind of calling some people out, but it is what it is. Um, I did a couple boot camp classes. Maybe I won't name the company. I, I, I did a couple boot camp classes and it was just like everything was the front of your body. It was all chest and push-ups and lunges and squats. And I walked out of there just feeling like I was like a caved in human. And that was one thing I loved about bashes. More, even in their warm-up, we're doing like hinge work and activating our backs. And, and it was clear there's a sports science element to what they're doing. And I just would be really, I guess my like advice portion of this is make sure that whatever, if you're going to do these group fitness workouts and you're going to go in a group fitness setting where you're not working with a personal trainer, that whoever has programmed that really knows what they're doing because, yeah, you can get a great workout and sweat a lot, but that's not really the, a good measure of a good workout. It, it's how does it help your body perform better and how does it help your body feel better and help you get stronger. And some of these workouts, man, they ain't it. Yeah, I mean, I like group workouts. I've done them a few times. It's sometimes challenging if someone in your specific group isn't up to your... I guess, level, but it's kind of inspiring to see others get in there and kind of go for it. At the same time, we're all kind of in it together. It's like war zone kind of, and you have one coach kind of telling everyone what to do and you have stations and whatnot. So it could be beneficial. However, now with COVID, I would just be a little more extra careful and make sure you're standing far away from people and you're masked up. Facts. The sense of community is the best part about group fitness without question. Do good this week. We are fighting Joe. We are fighting disinformation. Yeah, we're, we're totally fighting it. So just keep an eye out on social media for things that don't make sense, that are not true, false claims you might see on social media or with family and friends that you want to maybe combat and help them understand that it's not true or something is true. I saw something uh, this week because Joe Biden made a comment that 
you know, I've been in the Senate 180 years, and he, he laughed after, and they were making fun of him, saying, oh, what, what was 180 years? What is he, delusional? What is he, that was a fluff. Like, no, bro, that was a joke. There was a laugh <laughs> after he said it, which makes it humor. So, like a chuckle, you know what I mean? Like, he chuckled after it. So, that indicates it was humorous. And, you know, every little slip like that that Biden, because Biden has a personality. He's, he's humorous. They think he's fluffing or he's losing his mind, and that's just not true. For sure. And then there's the more sinister disinformation, such as basically everything Trump said in the debate about mail-in voting and and the general security of this election. And it's just not true. Like, we're in, we're in good shape. There's been a lot of systems in place to ensure this. There's been a lot of research. It's not perfect. Things happen. But things happen most often because of administrative errors, not because of voter fraud. It's not like the system's out or, or individual bad actors are out to get us. Sometimes shit happens. And overall, the chances that that affects the election on the whole are not very good. But in order to effectively battle disinformation, I thought this was great. When relevant, always offer the truth or a factual claim before and after presenting the false statement. Something along the lines of, Woodward recorded the president saying he knew how bad coronavirus would be and downplayed it on purpose. The president says nothing else could have been done, but even his own CDC director disagrees with him. People remember what they see first, so lead with the truth, close with the truth. Basically, too long, didn't read it. It's really important to not just go, that's wrong. Right. You want to give the factual information because if I tell you this is true, fact then you're a lot more likely to remember that and to believe it if it's forceful. And that's from Molly McHugh, who's a writer, and we'll link her article in the show notes if people want to read more. That's it. That's all for Chasing Interesting this week. Joseph, we finished another race. Man, we sure did it this week, little buddy. Uh, Next week, we have the vice presidential debate going on. Uh, that will be a fun watch. Any partying wisdom for our listeners today, Mr. Craig? Of course. Subscribe, rate, review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify or wherever it is. Rate us. Review us. Tell us we're great. Or or just don't say anything if you have not nice things to say. Thanks. And hey, believe you can and you're halfway there. This is Chasing Interesting.